Hello, this is Bad Vibes. Welcome to True Scary Stories to help you drift off to sleep, volume 18. My two guests for this episode are Goodnight Goosebumps and Demon Creep. I've had them on the channel before and you guys really seem to like them. So if you haven't already, please drop them a sub. Their link will be in the description. And sit back, relax, and enjoy. From the time I can remember, my great aunt always looked like she had been to hell and back. Her milky white eyes and disformed face always left me wondering what happened to her. She was the sweetest old lady, always giving us candy and shooting out her dentures into her hand to scare us. Fun times. After she passed, I asked my dad what was the reason for all of her scars. The story he told me was horrifying. In her mid-twenties, her life was going well. She was not born blind, nor was she born disformed. That was the result of a horrific car accident late one night as she was returning from work. I'm not sure whether she dozed off or hit a deer, but whatever caused the accident must have been brutal. It being the 1960s didn't help either, as the cars were basically rolling coffins. After the crash, she was declared dead and brought to a morgue. She remembered waking up in a cold metal box. She couldn't move any parts of her body except for her feet due to the extreme injuries that she sustained earlier. She began thumping her big toe against the edge of the box. It was no more than a light tap. After a few hours, she heard muffled whistling as the night janitor had made his rounds, mopping and sweeping. He must have shit his pants when he heard the thumping coming from the row of metal boxes. She was taken out and soon recovered. She was blind for the rest of her life. This story scares me because you never know how competent those who find you at a crash scene are. It may have been the 1960s, but who knows if it could still happen today. This story is always on my mind every time I cruise a lonely dark road late at night. Stay safe out there, friends. So this isn't my story, but the story of someone my grandmother is close with. So a couple decades ago, my grandmother's best friend, we'll call her Mary, went to a friend's wedding. She went on her own, so she was seated with people who also came alone. As she was getting to know everyone at her table, she noticed an oddball, a guy with short messy black hair and a mustache. As he had got more drunk, he started to talk about how much he hated hitchhikers and backpackers and that he would kill them if he could, about how annoying and insensitive they are. Mary thought it was weird, and so did everyone else at the table, but they continued to listen. At this point, the man was really drunk and confessed that he had killed some backpackers on a pretty inactive road and dumped their bodies in the bush. Mary and everyone else at the table laughed it off as a rambling of a drunk man, but Mary says that she regrets not taking him seriously. A few years later, she comes to find out that the man that she sat next to at the wedding was an Australian serial killer. Ivan Millet. She says it still gives her chills to think that she sat next to a man who murdered. She sat next to a serial killer. True story. I am young. I mean, I'm 30, so I'm kind of young. But I see this little girl at Walmart not too long ago, running around the toy aisles. She must have ran past me four or five times, and every time she did, a man would get right behind her, on her tail. For some reason, I could feel something was off. I stopped the little girl and asked her if she was lost, 
She said yes. I said to her, this man isn't your daddy? And with almost a tear in her eyes, she looked at him and slowly looked back at me and said, no. I grabbed her by the hand and told her that we were going to go to the front to call her mommy. As a man was in our aisle, I gripped her a little harder when we walked past him and went to the front of the store, walking right past the man, looking him straight in the eye. And he just kind of gave me that side smirk that till this day makes a hair raise on my entire body. Had I not stopped this little girl and brought her to the front to find her mom, I'm generally scared to know what would have happened to her. In 1978, I was nine years old. I lived in Billingham, Washington, a small city about an hour and a half north of Seattle. My parents were the carefree hippie type and pretty much let me roam the streets and visit my friends as long as I got home by dark. It was late summer and I had took the bus across town to visit my friend Leslie. We would go buy some candy at the corner store and walk to Fred Meyers, a Target type store, to watch TV in the electronics section. My parents didn't let me watch much TV, so I could spend the whole day at Fred Meyer watching whatever I wanted. It got to be late afternoon, so Leslie and I had to part ways. I walked to the bus stop downtown. As I was waiting, a white car slowly drove by, and just the way the driver looked at me made me start shaking. I watched him turn the corner. Instinctively, I knew he was going around the block, and he did. This time, he parked his car across the street. He got out and asked me if I wanted a ride. I remember everything about him. Curly dark hair, thick mustache, and the feeling I got from him was nothing I ever felt before. He pretty much paced up and down the block, smiling as he walked by, repeatedly offering me a ride. He then walked back to his car and was talking on some kind of CB or walkie-talkie or something. He was talking to someone about me. I could tell by the way he was nodding and smiling. He approached me one more time about a ride, and this time, I yelled, No! Thankfully, the bus came, but I knew he would follow the bus. I went to the back of the bus and watched him through the back window. He waited behind the bus every stop. My stop was on the corner, so I got off and ran as fast as I could. I looked back once, and I could see the back of his car. He had obviously parked. I ran another half block and crouched down behind a tree. I could see him standing at the corner, just staring down the street. After a few minutes, he left. Fast forward to January of 79, a news story comes on. Two college women were murdered by Kenneth Bianchi. It was him. His face was all over the news for a while. Only later did I find out that he and his cousin were the Hillside Stranglers. They murdered girls and women in LA. Then Bianchi moved up to Bellingham in the summer of 78. Also, I learned that he worked at Fred Meyer. The strange thing is, Bianchi moved to Bellingham without his cousin, so who was he talking to that day when he tried to get me in his car? Okay, so this happened to my dad. When he was a teenager, he used to work at a mom-and-pop pharmacy that would deliver prescriptions to people that couldn't get out of their house. He normally had a route and saw the same people regularly. One day, at the end of his shift, he had a delivery kind of far from where he would normally travel. At almost dark, he pulls up to the house and the screen door is open with one light on in the back of the house. He knocks on the door and hears someone yell from the back of the house to come in. 
He was already really creeped out because there was no furniture in the house and the house was filled with deep freezers wall to wall and there was a little teeny pathway to get to the back of the house which was the kitchen. He goes to walk into the house and says the carpet was so gross that his feet were sticking to it. He makes it down the hallway to the kitchen and still doesn't see anyone. The money was on the table so he dropped the bag of medicine on the table and went to nope the fuck out of there. And when he turned around to leave, he heard a loud raspy voice yell, Don't look in the freezers. So he ran out and told his boss that he never wanted to go back there. He's told me this story since I was little, and I've always wanted to know what were in those freezers. Maybe not super creepy, but it was always really creepy to me growing up. He's even taken me by the house before. This happened when I was about 14 to 15. I'm 19 now. I was in my basement playing PlayStation, absentmindedly late into the night, like I often did at the time. Being up until 3 or 4 a.m. was not unusual for me. How my house is structured, it has a front door, but also has a second set of front doors if you're down the driveway. The basement is by those second doors. As I was ready to log off for the night, I started hearing my dogs go crazy upstairs. They sometimes bark at nothing, cars passing in the night, or too much wind whipping past the windows. However, as someone who listened to too many scary stories, that was more than enough for me, and was about to go straight up to my room when I caught a glimpse of movement outside the window. I looked through the window to my front yard, but I couldn't see anything. Suddenly, I heard my dad yell in a voice lower than his own, Hey, can I help you? This is what set me into pure adrenaline mode. I stood frozen staring out the window as my ears strained to hear the guy's response. I still got nothing before my dad continued. Sorry, you have the wrong house. Get off my property. He comes back into sightline, a man wearing a white sleeveless shirt and cargo pants. I watched as he walked off our front path onto the street, then back onto the path. He was seemingly unsure of where to go or what to do. It was now I realized with utter dread that I didn't lock the second set of downstairs front doors. I finally broke my frozen spell and run back downstairs and locked the front door. I take a deep breath and start back down towards the stairs when I hear it, the door handle jiggle. I don't even look back, I book it up to the top of the stairs and to my parents room. My dad had already called the cops. They came about a half hour later and seemingly picked up the man at an empty house down the street that was in the process of being sold. The following day, the newspaper told of an escaped convict from the max security prison here. Some sort of mix-up was made and they let the wrong person out. They caught him luckily enough, but didn't detail where. And that is how I both forgot and remembered my way through a creepy encounter. So it was a rite of passage as a youth to jump off a cliff. One summer my town was offering a bus ride on certain days for kids to pay $3 and we could spend the entire day swimming at the beach at Delta Lake in upstate New York. So my friend and I decided to go, but our main goal was to leave the beach area and go over to the cliffs at Delta Lake. This was our perfect chance to have the thrill of cliff jumping and live to tell about it. So once we were dropped off, we hatched a plan to leave the beach area, swim across the inlet, climb the hill to the nearby road, 
and walked to the cliffs. Took about 30 minutes to get there. Once there, there was about a dozen people watching others jump and enjoying the day. Eventually, it was our turn to make our way down to the jump-off point. I won the bet with my friend on seeing who would jump first. So the guy in front of me jumps, creates a big splash, then comes back up to the surface, faking like he's unconscious and face down. Eventually, he moves out of the way so I can begin my descent to the cliff edge. As I'm nearing the ledge, I hear screaming. I look down and see a body come up from the water in the exact same manner as the previous jumper, face down and not moving, but it was different. You could see his muscle striations because the skin was gone. Eventually, the body turns over in the water and is actually facing up, arms out of the water and a crevice in its face. At that point, I realized what was down there and I climbed back to safety. When I got back to the top, all I recall is this lady running in circles, screaming the whole time about what she just saw. The event was surreal. Needless to say, my friend and I never jumped off those cliffs. We went back to the beach area and went home feeling bummed for not jumping off the cliffs, but scared at what we had just witnessed. This happened in the mid-70s, and my friend and I were probably 11 or 12 years old. This is still vivid in my memory to this day. When I was in high school, I spent a lot of time at the local park. I always tried to find the most solitary spots so I could smoke weed. This meant most of my hiking was on overgrown trails, if not off trail. You have to pay a fee to get into the main part of the park, but it's relatively large, so there's a lot of spots on the west side of the park that are free. Those spots are not quite as kept up and definitely not as observed. So obviously, it's mostly kids who just came to smoke and graffiti but of course, there are still some runners, people fishing, dog walking, anyone who wanted to skip out on that $5 fee. On Sunday, I go to smoke at the park while my family attends church. At this point, I had a solid trail that led to a solitary part of the park that I frequented if I just wanted to smoke and not explore. When I pull in, there's already a few cars, but one of them sticks out to me. It's a very clean black car parked right in front of the main trail. As soon as I get out of my car and approach the trail, a man who's probably in his late 30s, early 40s, steps out of the car. I kept an eye on him as I entered the trail, as he seemed to be keeping an eye on me too. But once I took a few steps on the trail, another man stops me. Apparently, someone had driven a car into a reservoir the day before, and he asked if I was coming to look at it. I said no, saw a small crowd at the cliff of the trail, and figured I could be less on guard since everyone would be over there and I could smoke in peace. After the man I was speaking to walked away, I looked back to see if the man at the car was still watching me, but I didn't see him anymore. So I went to my usual trail in the less crowded part of the park, then go a little off trail for even more privacy and sit on a fallen tree to smoke. As I reach into my bag for my blunt, I look up and just a few feet in front of me was the man from the car. He was standing facing me and did not seem to be phased when I realized he was there. My heart sinks and my stomach turns. I listened to a lot of true crime, so immediately in my head I was like, don't act like a victim, be confrontational, and said, can I help you? He kind of grinned and responded, no, just looking. So instead of my blunt, I grabbed my pepper spray and my phone to text my family to tell them where I was. I kept an eye on him the whole time I did this, and he did not move an inch, 
just watched me. So I sent a text, put my phone up, and watched him back, figuring the trigger of my pepper spray. Then he starts moving, so I stand up. He does not get any closer, but starts to circle me, still a few feet away. Remember that we are off trail, so as he moves around me, he is harder to see behind all of the shrubbery. I stay on my feet to make sure I'm facing him the whole time. He tucks his face away, so I can't make eye contact, but he knows I see him. So after he makes a full circle around me, he turns back to the trail and starts walking back on the main trail. I'm afraid of losing sight of him, so I follow from a distance. He doesn't turn around to look back at me. Finally, we get back to the busier part of the trail and I spot a woman walking her dogs. He goes off another trail and I go to her and tell her that this man has been following me. But when I look up to point him out, he is gone. She tells me that's scary and I just say be careful, then go to my car and leave. It was obviously a very creepy encounter and a potential close call, but sometimes I feel there is even a little bit more to it. This encounter took place 40 minutes from Delphi, Indiana in September of 2016. A few months later in February 2017, 13 and 14 year old Abigail Williams and Liberty German were murdered while hiking at their local park. Their murderer has never been found. This took place when I was about 14 or 15 years old. I would stay over at my best friend's house constantly. She was an only child and her mom would let us do anything, including leaving her place by ourselves at 1 or 2 in the morning. I'm surprised we are alive because we were very trusting. Like getting into a car with a group of teenage boys that we just met, trusting. So one night we were hanging out at a guy's house. The plan originally was that we were going to stay the night there. His grandma ended up getting angry at him and told everyone to leave. It was about 1 a.m. and we had no other option than to walk to her house. We decided to cut through a used car dealership. The security guy spotted us and told us that we were trespassing. He asked why we were out there so late and where we were going. After hearing about what happened, he said, If a cop stops you, they won't believe that. You'll probably just get into trouble. We didn't have cell phones yet, so we asked him if we could use his phone to call someone. My friend's mom was going through a rough patch financially and didn't have a phone service, so we told him we have no one. So the security dude offers to pay for us to stay at a motel for the night. This man was probably 30 to 35 years old. My friend and I were about 14 or 15. Stupidly, we accepted his offer. He says, one of you can sit up front. So my friend promptly jumps into the back, leaving me to sit up front. We stopped at his bank and then headed to the nearest motel. The entire drive he was telling us that he was a war vet that got injured on tour, saying that he would kill for a massage. He asked if either of us were good at massaging people. We said, uh, no, not really. We finally made it to the motel. This dude parks and tells us to stay in the car, but not before he takes his handgun that I did not see before out of the holster and puts it in the glove box directly in front of me and locks it. He then goes to the office and pays for a room. He ended up asking if he could come up with us and we could give him a massage as like a thank you. We said no and booked it up the stairs. We dead bolted the door the second we got in there. We definitely did not sleep that night. We were too creeped out. As soon as the sun came up, we got out of there and walked a good hour and a half back to my friend's place. 
12 years later, I'm 26, and just browsing Facebook, there's this news article about an army vet being arrested for abducting and raping two teenage girls. It was the same bald-headed motherfucking security guard that picked up me and my friend. It was a very unsettling feeling, thinking of what could have happened. This happened quite a while ago, while I was home alone with just my dog. After all this time, I'm sure what happened was really strange, and I have no idea what this man actually wanted. So I was watching TV one night at around 11pm when I heard a car pull up outside and the engine shut off. I figured it was obviously a neighbor, but my nosy dog wanted to take a look and went to the window. He kind of messed up the blinds when he went up to go take a look, so I got up to fix them. When I did, I noticed the car had parked across the street from my house and my neighbor's house. I couldn't really make out any details, but it looked like the driver was just sitting in the car. At the time, I didn't really think anything of it. I got a drink and went back to watching TV. Quite some time had passed since I fixed the blinds, but I'm not sure how long. My best guess is 15 to 20 minutes. Out of nowhere, I thought I heard tapping at the door. Not a knock. It was much lighter and very quiet. My dog had sat up to look at the door and I paused the TV when the same tapping then started at my window. I opened the blinds a little and saw a man standing there. I couldn't make out his face properly and he immediately walked back to the door and started tapping at it again. It doesn't sound very frightening and I'm not sure why but I suddenly had a real awful feeling. I felt absolutely terrified and had no idea why. The tapping at the door never stopped but something in my head was saying if I opened the door to him then something really bad would happen. I went upstairs to open the window and asked him what he wanted. It felt safer doing this. He said in a really quiet voice that he was delivering a pizza and told me how much it cost. I felt so stupid for being frightened and told him I didn't order a pizza. In my mind, I guessed that he was speaking quietly and knocking lightly so that he didn't disturb the neighbors. My dog followed me upstairs and was letting out an odd growl and a bark which isn't unusual for him. I was trying to shush him when the man downstairs told me that he had the correct address and that I better get downstairs now and open the door to pay what I owed and collect my food before it got cold. I was really confused because I most definitely did not order any food and began telling him again when I noticed he didn't even have a pizza. He wasn't even carrying anything. I told him again that he had the wrong address and he got really angry. He kept telling me to open the door. He was going between angry and sort of trying to persuade me to go back downstairs. I asked him where the pizza was. He said he had a hold of it. It was really dark but he definitely didn't have anything in his hands. By that time, my dog was really making quite a fuss at this stranger and the stranger had turned into a broken record. Come downstairs, open the door come downstairs and open the door. All the noise must have alerted my neighbor who did open his front door. And the man didn't say a word but practically ran across the street to his car that I had heard pull up a while ago. He went back to the car empty handed. I have no idea what he wanted but he certainly wasn't a delivery driver. It really freaked me out as well that my dog was quite an obviously large breed and the man saw him through the window and he wasn't deterred at all. It seems even stranger and less random that he actually drove up to my house as though he planned on showing up.
This story is slightly different as it's more strange than creepy. It happened back in 2004 when I was 12 years old. It was autumn, the beginning of the school year, but the weather was still uncharacteristically warm and the dark nights of northern Europe had not kicked in yet. I was playing outside with my best friend Kristen. We were sitting and talking on the large rocks in front of my apartment complex, right under my window. I don't remember how long we had been there until we see a man who we had never seen before walking towards us. I say man, but he had a baby face going on where he could have been anywhere from 18 to 35. At first, we didn't pay much attention, but as he reached us, he came and sat right down next to me and put his arm around me and said, Sarah, finally, where have you been? I've been looking all over for you. At this point, Kristen laughs, thinking it's a boyfriend of mine that I didn't tell her about, except it isn't. I have never seen this man in my life. Yes, we lived in a small town, but it wasn't small enough where you know everybody, and I was definitely not popular enough for strangers to know my name. Now, a lot of weird things happen often in my hometown, from gunfights to explosions. Kristen and I had made friends with a criminal convicted of chopping two people into pieces, and had been chased with an axe by a weird alcoholic guy who lived in the forest. So we knew that people could be extremely dangerous, and if your instincts tell you that something's wrong, you better listen to it. Except in this case, my instincts never kicked in. I didn't see this guy as a threat at all. Thinking to myself, perhaps it's someone I met over the summer and made friends with. Trying real hard to remember his name, I just turned to him and said, Hey, how's your summer been? Praying that he'll say something to jog my memory in regards to him. His face lights up and he just starts talking about random things. When I can't remember him, no matter how hard I try, I just said, Sorry, but we really have to go now. It's getting late and tomorrow's a school day. I say this while mentally preparing myself that he might not like it. But he just smiles and says, Oh, alright. I'll see you around then. I basically drag Kristen by the arm into my place and all while she's still laughing and asks me why I never introduced her to my boyfriend. I shush her and tell her that I had never seen this man in my entire life. Kristen looks at me for a bit, then goes silent and just says, Huh, that's weird. I've never seen him either. The next day, our geography class took place outside. We had to use a compass or something. Not even 10 minutes into the lesson, one of the boys in my class walks up to me and tells me that there's a man asking for me. For a second, I'm confused. The events of yesterday are already forgotten, but as soon as I turn around, I see the man from yesterday standing among my classmates, looking at me, and everything that happened the day before comes floating back to me. Now, all my classmates are good-naturedly making fun of me to introduce my new hot boyfriend to them. Even the teacher says jokingly that I will have to tell my boyfriend to wait until classes are over. At this point, I'm really tired, so I just walk up to him and tell him that I have class right now and he really shouldn't be on my school grounds as he's not a student. He immediately tells me that he's got a car nearby and that he can drive me home. I just tell him that I'm planning on walking home as the weather is nice, but he's welcome to walk with my friends and I. And sure enough, after classes end, he's right there, waiting for me. Normally I walk home with a group of four friends, so with the addition of this weird man, we can't all walk next to each other. He walks ahead of us, occasionally looking back at us, asking about my school day, about my grades, etc. Completely harmless questions, no weird compliments, no weird anything except for the fact that I still don't know who this man is. Same evening, my phone rings. 
A call from an unknown number. I answer and hear a familiar voice go, Hey, did you get home alright? I asked him if one of my friends gave him my number and this time he sounds almost hurt and says, No, you gave it to me. How can you not remember? Again, we talk for a bit, mostly about grades and school. I'm not going to drag this story out too much, but this man called me every single day, followed me to school, in school. He even sometimes came into the building and found me in the school corridor just to talk to me, walked home with us after school. He found me when I was out with my friends. He always knew when my extracurriculars would end. He was always there, everywhere, every single day, until one day in November I left my house to go to school. Looking around, I couldn't see him. The whole day passed and he was nowhere to be found. As weird as it sounds, I was concerned, thinking whether something had happened to him. I never did find out. As I said, it's been over 16 years now, and I never saw this man again, and everyone I spoke to about it vowed that they didn't know the man either. P.S. I did tell my family. They told me not to encourage him, and that I should ignore him. My family's from Oakland, California. This was 2012. I was 16, my brother was 12, and my parents were both in their mid-50s. One summer, we were on a road trip and ended up camping in the mountains above Lander, Wyoming. I remember sitting in the back seat behind my dad who was driving. We were on a dirt road above Sinks Canyon and all the windows were open. It was July and very nice out. We pulled over by the turnout to one of the lakes to the right of us to look at the map. My parents weren't sure how to get to the campground on the other end of the several mile road. About this time, a young lady came jogging from the other direction. I remember she was blonde, had on a yellow tank top and dark shorts. My dad waved out the window to her and called her over. He explained that we were lost and asked if she knew the area. She introduced herself as Amy. I sure do. If you keep following this, she motioned toward the road in front of us, it will take you to Lewis Lake. The campgrounds are going to be on your left. A few years later, I saw an episode of Disappeared that featured a runner who had gone missing in the late 1990s outside of Lander, Wyoming, and had never been found. When they showed her name, Amy Bechtel, and her photo, the hair on my neck immediately stood up. It was her. When we saw her, she appeared to be the same age and was wearing the same clothes described in the program. I showed my dad a few days later, but he didn't remember the specifics that I did. He remembered her name being Amy, but also thought that I was imagining things. My brother was asleep when this happened and my mom didn't remember anything. But five years later, I know what I saw. It was Amy. Over spring break when I was 16, my mom and I decided to fly down to see my brother at his college in a lively southern city. My family and I had spent our summers in the city for the entirety of my life, and we were used to drunks and odd people. Safe to say, this was a town that I knew like the back of my hand. Anyway, we decided to rent a room in an Airbnb that used to be an old southern-style home. The doors had been replaced with one that were metal and required an access code, so we felt safe. It was our second night there, and we decided to go to bed around 10pm. We heard the usual whoops and cries of drunks from the streets, and occasionally patrons entering the main door which our room sat immediately to the left of. 
My mom had fallen asleep, when all of a sudden someone starts banging on the door like a maniac. I was anxious, but decided that it was nothing. Someone who just got locked out by their friends, as there was a wedding party in the room above us. This continued for 20 minutes, then ceased. I fell asleep, then at 12am the banging resumed. Because of the house's age, you could hear the banging throughout the house. So a woman came down and said, This isn't your apartment, and if you don't have a code, you can't get in. Instead, the person became even more enraged and started slamming against the door. This was a sound I could never forget. The woman threatened to call the police if they didn't leave, so they did. It was nearing 1.30am and the crowds outside had died down. I closed my eyes when the banging started again, paired with someone slamming against the door. My mom told me to call the police as we sat shaking in bed. The operator informed me that several other patrons had called in requesting police and said they were in the area. I ended the call. In a few moments we heard the breaking of glass and someone screaming. I quickly called 911 again, stating how the situation had gotten worse. I was in tears, trembling and thinking this person was inside the house, about to do something terrible. We heard yelling of, get out, from the room that sat across from us. The police arrived and my mom stepped out of the room. When she came back, she told me an older man was heavily intoxicated with no idea where he was. He had punched the window from the room across from us, the window which was right next to one of the patrons' heads. The police arrested him on charges of disorderly conduct and damages of property. The next morning my mom told me not to tell my dad, as he would have freaked out. I agreed. It had been one of the scariest moments in that city for me. When I was 16, I worked in a coffee shop. It was my first job, and I really liked working there. I was a young girl, so I would occasionally get a creepy comment from some random old man. I could sometimes tolerate it because I really needed the paycheck. But this time... It went way too far. I usually work from 2pm to 10pm, and those were long feverish hours. There were two stations to switch between in the coffee shop. One for coffee and pastries, and one for ice cream. So I would be spending hours going back and forth between stations. I would often work with a girl who was in her early 20s, named Kelly. She was really pretty, and often colored her hair crazy colors but she had the maturity of a freshman in high school. She wasn't of much help on these long nights, despite being supervisor. She had a huge ego for someone who made me do all the work, and then expect the tips to be split. For about a week, I noticed the same guy frequenting the place. He'd come in with a laptop, order a hot green tea, and then sit down and browse on the internet for hours. I didn't pay any attention to him at first. About the third day in a row of him coming in, he made small talk with me at the counter. He asked me for my name because I wasn't wearing my name tag. I told him my name and he smiled and said he knew my mom. I fake smiled and talked all giddy with my customer service voice. He then asked my age. That made me uncomfortable 
so I just said I needed to check something in the back. I told Kelly that the customer out there was being creepy and asked if she could take care of him for me. She told me I was being really paranoid, but did me a solid anyway. I sat on my phone for about 10 minutes before going back out behind the counter. Kelly and this guy were laughing and talking like old chums. He seemed to be flirting with her a lot and then looked up and saw me. He smiled all creepy again, winked, and then turned around to leave. I was disgusted, but decided to get on with my shift. The next day, this guy came back. He ordered his tea and then quietly went to sit at a table. I'm sort of a snoopy person, and I walked over to the ice cream area where I could get a look at his screen. He was scrolling through some girl's Facebook photos, and she looked very young. Like, younger than me even. He clicked on pictures of this girl in swimsuits and just stared at them. I was very creeped out and forced myself to ignore it. He eventually left and once again, I forgot about it and continued working. Just as expected, he came back the very next day. He did everything he usually did, although I spared my eyes from his laptop screen this time. At around 5, he was still just sitting around. He usually would have left by now and even Kelly noticed it. He came up to the counter and I quickly walked over to assist him. He requested a cup of boiled water for some strange medication he claimed he was on. We had a hot water machine, but to get it, I'd have to turn around. I didn't want to give him a show, so I backed up, grabbed a cup, and backed over to the machine. He seemed almost dissatisfied that I didn't turn around. I filled it up and walked back over to him and set it down in front of him. As he grabbed the cup, he made the most disgusting comment I've ever had said to me. Those leggings look a little tight on you. Are they as tight as they look? I didn't even emote. I just stared at him. He chuckled and said that he was just joking and walked back over to his laptop. I went into the back and told Kelly that she needed to kick him out. She refused and said he was just being nice. I got upset with her and walked back out. I was too scared to tell him to leave. He ended up spending the entire day there, and when 10pm rolled around, I grabbed the keys and locked the doors. They are locked from the outside, but you can still open them from the inside. This was usually my way of telling customers to get out in the nicest way possible. This guy didn't move. I brought the sign from outside back in and shut the door. He then piped up and asked what high school I went to. I ignored him and walked behind the counter and shut off a couple of lights to signal that we are very closed. Kelly came out and saw that he was still there, but didn't even try to kick him out. She made small talk with him at the counter and let him sample the ice cream. He offered her some strange white thing that looked a lot like a pill and claimed it was a mint. She declined. I was quietly counting the tips and splitting them with the tails out. I felt very uncomfortable having our registers out with this creepy guy hanging around. He didn't make any effort to talk to me, but I overheard the conversation him and Kelly were having. He asked her out, and she said no and that she had a boyfriend. He asked her what school she went to, and she laughed and said she's 22. He said, Oh, I thought you were 15. Kelly didn't laugh at that one. I was incredibly disgusted and grabbed my half of the tips and got my bag. 
I know I shouldn't have left Kelly there with him, but Kelly didn't take shit from anyone, and she could definitely kick some ass if she wanted to. And I said goodbye to Kelly and walked out to my mom's car and told her about the weird guy. My mom doesn't tolerate that shit, so she swerved around and pulled up in the parking lot. She asked if the large white truck was his. I said yes, and she told me to stay in the car. Before she even got out, he came out and saw us. He smiled and waved and started walking over. My mom backed out and drove away and told me that she knows that guy. My mom works at a bank and he's a member. He would constantly try asking her out despite her being married and make inappropriate comments. My mom has a framed picture of me on her desk and customers can see it. He must have seen that and found me on Facebook and learned where I worked. We called the police when we got home and told them about the man. They told us they were looking for him and they would call us back. They found him pretty easily. He was arrested, but not for harassment, but for the fact that he had been banned from the premises for a year and wasn't allowed back yet. So, to the creepy man who stalked both me and my mother, let's hope for your sake that we never meet again. Three years ago, I was living with my then-boyfriend in a one-bedroom apartment in a little mountain town. It was a half-basement unit, so the bottom of all of our windows were level with the ground outside. It was also an older apartment, and not all the windows could fully lock. One day, my boyfriend comes home from work while I'm laying on the sofa, and immediately runs up to the window, near me, and looks out of it frantically. He then goes to look out every other window in the house, then walks around the outside looking in the windows. When he comes back from his confusing exploit, I ask him what the fuck is going on and why he's being a spaz. I think I just walked up on a dude looking in the window at you. He took off as I walked up, he tells me. This was naturally very upsetting. But after discussing it and considering the time of day... It was about 2 p.m., and the number of people out and about around the complex at that time. We came to the conclusion that it was just a curious neighbor or someone passing by happening to glance in. With that, we forgot about it. If only that was the end. For the next couple of months, odd stuff happened here and there. Someone would knock on the door occasionally, then when I went to answer, no one was there. I'd find things in my apartment that I wasn't familiar with, or things like clothing items would vanish. I didn't really think twice about any of it until one night. My boyfriend and I were arguing, around one or two in the morning, and we were being a little loud. We were standing in the kitchen face to face. His back was to an open window with the blinds up, halfway, and I was facing it. Amidst our arguing, I glanced behind him at the window, thinking I saw the reflection of my face in it. The window was open, and it wasn't my face. There was a man with his face pressed almost against the window screen watching us. Given the fact that we were arguing and it was late, I thought for a moment it might have been a concerned neighbor walking up to the window to speak to us. A main walkway for the complex was right on the other side of the window. So I spoke to him. Hello, can I help you? 
I asked a little aggressively, thinking our neighbor was intruding on our privacy. He responded to this by staring, unwavering and cold, right at me. His face did not change expression. He did not blink or move. Just looked right at me in a way I have never been looked at before or since. In this instant, I also realized that because of the window being level with the ground, the only way this man's face could be where it was, was if he was laying on the ground outside of the apartment, or crouched and contorted to look into the window. My heart sank. I buried my face in my boyfriend's chest and closed my eyes in fear. My boyfriend up to this point thought I was messing with him. When I buried my face into his chest, only then did he say, is there really someone at the window? I whispered yes to him. He felt my fear and took a moment before he turned around. By the time he did, the man was gone. It was at this point I started to think about all the little odd occurrences that I've been experiencing. I assumed the worst. I found the police report with his description, and my brother loaded my apartment up with weapons to protect me or at least inform this peeping Tom that I was armed. After that night, myself, my boyfriend, and my brother were on high alert. There were a couple times when my brother came over that he saw a sketchy dude hanging around, and even one time he saw him at my window. He tried to follow him discreetly, but the guy took off running as soon as my brother stepped in his direction. The last night I had an experience with this man. I was sitting home alone on my sofa. My boyfriend was at work at a restaurant about two blocks away. He had picked me up from work about an hour earlier. We had sat on the sofa together a little while when we got home. Then he kissed me and left for work, locking the door behind him. After he left, I continued to sit on the couch on Reddit for a while in silence. After about an hour of me sitting there in silence, I hear a door creak open. It's a small apartment, so to see the bedroom and bathroom doors from the couch, all I had to do was lean a little to the left. I assumed it was one of my cats coming out of my bedroom. So you can imagine my shock when I lean over and see the door that's opening is the door to the water heater closet slash small storage space. I look to my right and see both my cats sleeping soundly at the other end of the couch. I look back to the door and it's still creaking open very slowly. It opens enough for me to see it. A set of fingers wrapped around the door, easing the door ever so gently to open it as quietly as possible. That was going to be a no from me, dog. I ran my ass barefooted out the door, into the snow and down the street to my boyfriend's work. I called the cops. When everyone was back to check out the apartment, he was, of course, gone. After that, my boyfriend and I packed our shit, went to stay with my parents, and six months later, moved 1,000 miles away from that town. That was the end of it. I initially found this sub around that time, as I was trying to find other stories similar to mine, or people to talk to who had experienced something like I did. I had intended to write my story here eventually, and I figured after this week's events, I had to. I live a thousand miles away from all of this happened, so a part of me thinks there's no way this person could have found me. 
but last week, I heard a knock on the front door of my apartment. I was expecting a package, so I figured it was a delivery driver and didn't answer. I'd go get the package later. Then they knocked again, and again. The third one made me feel uneasy, so I waited a good 20 minutes to check the door. When I did, there was no package, no note, no nothing. Someone was just knocking. Although it made me uneasy, I didn't initially think back to my stressful experience in my last town. Then two days ago, I went out to get groceries. I have a little patio and I go out there in the mornings to just chill or check on plants a lot, and I've been known to leave it unlocked in the day on accident. Never thought of it as a big deal. Until I came home from the store two days ago, and the deadbolt to my apartment was locked. The deadbolt that can only be locked from inside the apartment. Period. I assumed someone robbed me because I dumbly left my patio unlocked. I called my sister. I called my current, new boyfriend. I waited for people to be with me and I went into my apartment through the sliding glass patio door. Nothing was out of place, nothing of value was taken. At this point my heart sank. Nothing was touched, nothing stolen. Someone was inside my apartment, just because they wanted to be inside of my apartment. I told my boyfriend about my stalker, and he is not taking this shit lightly like my past boyfriend. I filed another police report. We checked for recording devices and cameras. He put Nest cameras up all over the place, and we're on high alert. I really truly hope this is a coincidence, but if this man really followed me across multiple state lines, there's no one on this earth I'm less interested in meeting. And back in 2015, I was working as a live-in home health aide for a wealthy family. It was just me and my patient living in a very nice condo in a quiet neighborhood on a golf course. We were the youngest people who lived there. I was 27 at the time. My patient was a 21-year-old male with Asperger's, SPD, and BPD, and some substance abuse problems. He had recently gotten into some trouble and been legally declared incompetent. We will call him Jake. Jake was a nice kid, but he had severe emotional issues and almost no social awareness, compounded by the refusal to take prescribed medication, which worked incredibly well when he took it, and drug abuse. He was taken advantage of a lot because of the crowd that he hung around with. Right before I moved in, six friends came to hang out with Jake one day and ended up staying for two weeks, draining Jake's bank account on various drugs, meth, coke, MDMA, and weed and absolutely trashing the condo. Jake was lonely, and he never said no to people. He wanted them to like him. Honestly, I think Jake was 14 or 15 years old mentally. I think he turned to drugs to deal with depression and anxiety, and also to fit in with the people around him. He's much better now. It was a sweet gig. I was paid very well, lived in a nice condo rent-free, and basically just had to keep our house clean, keep food in the fridge, and make sure he took his medication. When I moved in, 
my boss, Jake's mother, warned me about a girl who occasionally stayed with her father, who was our downstairs neighbor. She told me that the girl was named Amber, and that she looked younger, but she was 37 years old, tall, blonde, and very thin. She was right. She looked much younger, like 25-ish. She said Amber didn't have a car or a job, and that she was an addict who liked to use Jake. Amber's father had custody of her two children, and she would come visit the kids and stay for a few days a week. She said one day, Amber asked to use Jake's car for an hour, and ended up running off with it for two weeks. Amber was also the one who introduced Jake to the six friends who trashed the condo. She was bad news and was never allowed to be there. She wanted me to call her immediately if Amber stopped by or Jake went anywhere with her. After the theft, she put a GPS on Jake's car and allegedly she could stop the engine. My boss made it clear that she didn't expect me to be a security guard, just a notifier of things that were going on. Leading up to this event, I had a few run-ins with Amber where I had to politely tell her that things like that were not allowed to come into the apartment. Jake could not take her to the store or anywhere else. No, Jake couldn't go to a party at her boyfriend's house, etc. Amber was always spaced out. Like, she talked slow and seemed wide-eyed and off. She explained to me that she'd been hit by a car while riding a bike recently and complained that she was the one who ended up going to jail. I was like, how? Apparently, she takes a lot of Xanax and was under the influence. So I think that explains the spaced out part. Anyway, she was never aggressive, but it was clear that she didn't like me and often would say things like, Jake is his own person. He's a 21-year-old man. He doesn't need permission. And whenever she spoke to Jake, when we saw her at the gym or in the parking lot, she would be whispering to him, no doubt trying to manipulate him into giving her money or something. Anyway, on to the incident. Jake was out of state with his father, giving me a mini vacation. My best friend was staying over to spend a few days with me, and we were drinking PBR and watching RuPaul's Drag Race. It's like 11pm. We hear a light knock on the door. I go investigate through the peephole and see it's Amber. I ignore her. She knocks louder about 30 seconds later. I watch her leave through the peephole and sit back down, telling my friend the situation. Five minutes go by and she's back. This time, she is pounding on the door like a cop. I'm getting pissed because I'm off work and I don't want to deal with her crazy especially with my friend over, so I say nothing and go back to the couch. She knocks like a normal person and starts saying, Hello, Jake, OP, I need help. Hello, I still don't answer. Then I hear her try to open the door. It's locked, always, I'm a habitual door locker. And this enrages her or something and she starts screaming and pounding on the door nonstop. I get up and look through the peephole again, and she looks like a demon. Her pupils were huge, so I think she was on something. She looked crazed. Her hair was tangled and wild. She was sweaty and angry. Looking back, I'll never forget those wide pupils looking at me through an evil glare. I ask her through the door what she wants. She says she needs to speak to Jake right now. He owes her money, lol, and she needs a ride to her boyfriend's house right now. I tell her Jake isn't home. She then asks me if I'll take her. I tell her no, I've been drinking and I'm going to bed. She let out a frustrated scream 
punched the door and left. My friend and I went to bed shortly after and didn't hear from her again after that. The next morning, we're getting ready to leave to go to breakfast. I hear a knock like a policeman's knock at the door. You know the sound. I look through the peephole expecting to see Amber, but this time, it's an actual cop. I open my door and can see my parking lot is full of police. There is a van marked crime scene unit and an ambulance. I honestly assume Amber overdosed or something. The cop wants to ask me if I heard anything strange last night. I tell him about my encounter with Amber and ask if she's okay. He tells me that she's in custody for the murder of her father. Does Jake own a crossbow and is it missing? Yes and yes, it's been missing for weeks. He says I need to speak to some detectives at the station. So, I don't know if she came to my door before or after she murdered her father with a fucking crossbow like she's Tyrion Lannister or something. But the detective told me that his theory was that she was a heroin addict and she was withdrawing and needed to get to her boyfriend's for more dope. She tried to get Jake to drive her and when that didn't work, she asked her father, who refused. This is what went down. They argued. Other neighbors heard that. She killed him with the stolen crossbow and stole his truck. She only got a mile away before she was signaled to pull over. She led the cops in a high-speed chase over the span of two counties before she finally lost control and crashed. The cops were only pulling her over on suspicion of drunk driving, but when they went to speak to her, she told them that she was speeding because she needed to check on her dad. She thinks someone stabbed him. They asked her why she thought that, and she wouldn't answer. They sent police for a welfare check, and they found him before her sons did. So, that was the time my crazy drug addict neighbor murdered her father with my patient's crossbow. Yeah, let's never meet again. To start this off, I'd like to give a bit of context. This happened four years ago. I'm a girl and at the time this happened, I was 12 going on 13 in just a month or two. The friend I mentioned in the story was 14 at the time. The friend, Sally, who I was staying with that night, 14 female, was quite a bit older than me. At least at the time, the two-year age gap was quite big. At 12 to 13 years old, I was about to start my second year of middle school, where Sally should have been about to begin her sophomore year of high school. I met her in the beginning of my first year at a new school. She was older than the other kids in our grade and was considered one of the popular kids. And I think that was what drew me to her at first. We became fast friends and before we knew it, we're spending every single weekend together. Seriously, every single weekend. Nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. It was your typical Friday night. We carpooled to her family's apartment after school. I've always been a picky eater. So when her family had dinner, I didn't eat with them. I just snacked on the Pop-Tart that I'd stowed away in my backpack in case they ordered something that I wouldn't eat. Something to note is that her family was pretty religious. I wouldn't go as far as to say they were fanatics, but they didn't allow their kids to watch horror movies or anything that was rated PG-13 or older. It didn't stem from the desire to protect them from something inappropriate. 
Sally's mother had an irrational fear that scary movies had satanic messages. We asked to watch The Purge, and her mom obviously said no. After some negotiating, she agreed to let us watch The Hunger Games instead. After the movie, Sally and I went to hang out in her room. She put on some music, and being the age we were, we gave each other makeovers. By the end of it, we were looking much older than just 12 and 14. This part of the night is when things started to seem off to me. Sally wasn't the most positive influence. Despite being my best friend at the time, she was manipulative and got off on putting me down. She had a habit of talking to men online and lying about her age. Sally showed me some texts between her and the man she was talking to. I can't give you an exact recount of them, but they consisted of him trying to convince her to meet up with him, and just the usual things you'd expect from a creep online. According to him, he was 19, tall, and blonde with soulful blue eyes. Once I saw the texts, I asked if she had a picture of him. Something didn't sit right with me after seeing the messages. She showed me what he looked like, and he was clearly not 19. This man was at least 40, and looked like he lived in his mother's basement. Then we got a call from him. Sally answered without hesitation, and when I heard the voice on the other end of the call, I felt like I was going to be sick. You're so pretty. Why don't you come meet me, he asked. Sally said that she couldn't because she was spending the night with a friend. The mention of that sparked his interest, and then he proceeded to try and ask us both to meet him. Sally, lacking any common sense, said yes. Thus began her plan for us to sneak out and walk 15 blocks to meet him in a deserted McDonald's parking lot. I didn't want to go. I was raised on stories of what happens to teen girls who meet random men from the internet in person. But after adamant pleading from Sally that she didn't feel safe going by herself, I agreed. We took our phones with us for the walk. I had a kitchen knife stuffed in my bra in case something were to happen, and I needed to defend myself. The route we had to take to get there didn't have very many street lamps, and there weren't many houses. We were surrounded by trees on both sides of us. When we got to the parking lot, the only car parked nearby was a black beat-up 2000 Toyota Corolla. The car was still running when we got there and from what we could tell, there was more than one person inside. The man from the picture got out of the front passenger seat and left the door open behind him before approaching us. I turned my flash on so I could see, and he was obviously on something. I can't tell you what kind of drug it was for the life of me, but his eyes were so wide, they looked like they were about to pop out of his head. He was jittery and kept twitching, I became very conscious of how big he was, maybe six foot two around 280 pounds. For reference, my friend and I did not look our ages, even without makeup. I'm about five foot two. My friend was pretty tall, probably around five foot six, five foot seven. We were both significantly smaller than him. 
The man reached out for us and caught my friend by the arm. I went to get my knife as quickly as I could, and that's when I saw his friends getting out of the car. He invited us back to his car and offered us booze and drugs. But after seeing my knife and that I was ready to call the police, he released my friend. I took Sally's arm and ran faster than I ever had in my entire life. We took the long way home to avoid them finding out where we lived, in case they were following us. Once we got there, her family was still sound asleep. We locked all the doors, closed the blinds, and blocked him on everything. There wouldn't be any sleeping that night. We were constantly peeking out the window, and to our dismay, that same Toyota was circling around her apartment building. Not once, not twice, but three times. I never mentioned any of this to my parents, out of fear of getting grounded or in trouble. I'm 16 now and they still have no clue. I still get nervous when I see a car similar to the one from that night. As for Sally, her parents never found out either. We agreed to never speak about it again. Thankfully, she moved into a new house just a few weeks after that happened. Safe to say Sally and I haven't spoken in three years. She was pissed at me for ruining her night, and our friendship didn't last for too long after that. We had a pretty bad falling out, but looking back on it now, it was definitely for the better. So to Sally, thank you for teaching me a very valuable lesson and making me realize that some people are best just left alone. And to the man and his friends who tried to prey upon two young girls, let's not ever fucking meet again. So, this happened around 2017 or 2018. I was in 8th grade and quite tall for my age, around 5'9". A house was for sale in my neighborhood and it was filled pretty quickly since I lived next to a school. Every day for a week, I saw someone stand in front of the house and I assumed it was just a new neighbor. But one day, I got off of the bus and started walking down the street. It was winter in Canada and there were like tents where you can put your car under so it doesn't snow on it and obviously you can't see behind it. So, I was walking next to the one in the driveway of the new neighbor. He was hidden behind it and just grabbed me by my arm and started trying to pull me inside. On quick reflexes, I hit him in the face with my keys and he let go of me. I ran to my house and got in as quickly as possible and called the police. He was never caught and police patrolled my neighborhood for a week after that. Also, it wasn't the new neighbor. So, a random creep who I thought was my next door neighbor? Let's not meet again. So, when I was 15, my mom was friends with a man who wanted to date her, Jake. My mom was not interested in a relationship with this man at all, and in fact was dating another guy, Colt. My family is full of pretty serious rednecks, and my mom is no exception. So one day my mom invited Colt and his roommate Frank over to shoot some guns at our home range. We shot for a while and eventually went in around dark. 
So my mom and Cold got drunk after we went in. Frank cannot drive due to some brain damage. So they ended up staying the night at the house. Around 2am I was still up playing video games. My mom and Colt were in her room asleep. When Frankie comes running down the hallway, saying a truck just pulled into the driveway. I look out the window and see it's Jake. Apparently my mom hadn't texted him in a few hours. And he's extremely possessive. So we went by to check to see if she was home. Keep in mind... Colt's Ranger was parked in the driveway, and is very obviously a guy's truck. Think spiked lug nuts, spur hanging from rear view, skull hydro dipped dash. Jake absolutely flips. He starts ringing the doorbell nonstop, beating on the door, walking around the house beating on windows, screaming my mom's name, and circling Colt's truck. At this point, my mom and Colt are awake, and since we have blackout curtains, she tells us to keep the lights off and hide in the hallway. And if we don't do anything or respond, he'll think no one is home and leave. Colt, being sober now, is understandably pissed, threatening to go out and deal with it. It is now important to point out the size difference between Colt and Jake. Colt is 5'5 five five and 125 pounds. Jake is 6'3 and 240. Jake could punt Colt 50 feet if he wanted to. Because of this, my mom forces Colt to stay inside. This went on for 45 minutes. At one point, we see on the camera monitor in my mom's room that Jake has punched the side of Colt's truck. Then we hear the screen to one of the windows slide up. The windows in question is locked, and Jake couldn't fit through anyway, thank God. It's at this point that I think of the only thing that will make Jake leave. I grab a gun, act terrified, which at this point I am, and walk to the living room and ask, Who the hell is it? Out the window. Jake realizes it's me and asks where my mom is. I tell him she's out with her friends and that I haven't heard from her, and I'll call him when she gets home if I'm awake. He says thank you and left. After all the shit he did, that's all it took for him to leave and honestly I was amazed. I genuinely thought I was going to have to shoot him. Later on that night, around 4, we hear his truck outside again. He squeals his tires down the road. Obviously pissed that mom still hasn't called him. The next morning, he's back again at 10, again beating on doors and windows, screaming and trying to get a reaction. Colt again tries to go out and handle it, but mom won't let him. He finally leaves again, and Colt goes out to look at his truck. There's a three inch deep dent in the side of his bed. Colt is understandably pissed and tells my mom to let him know if that fucking creep comes back. Jake had beat on our doors until his hand bled. This also may have been from hitting the truck, but I don't know, and had blood on the doors and windows. My mom wouldn't let me call the police because she felt that it would just cause unnecessary strain and that she thought it was over. 
so the cops were unfortunately never involved. She was also worried he'd do worse if the police were called. My mom stopped talking to Jake after that, and I never felt comfortable in that house at night again. Once I started driving, I didn't stay the night there very much, opting to visit during the day and go back to my dad's at night. So, Jake, let's not meet again. So, to start from the beginning, I, a 30-year-old female, met this guy on Bumble, a 39-year-old male, while I was renting a room at a sober house in Colorado Springs to get everything squared away to officially move out here. Nursing license transferred, job, apartment, etc. After I officially moved out and got settled in, we talked on the phone a few times and decided to meet in person. It was about 4 in the afternoon and we planned to have dinner and maybe go on a scenic drive. He had asked me to pick him up from his work, and we could go from there. I didn't think much of it at the time, so I went to his work and picked him up, figuring I would drop him back off so he could take his car and go home. The first thing he told me to do when he got in my car was to stop at the liquor store. He wanted to grab something for later. After he told me to stop at the liquor store, I felt kind of awkward because he knew that I was in recovery. At this point in my recovery, I feel okay with being around alcohol. He came out of the liquor store with two shooters of Patron and a bottle of vodka. Not even minutes after leaving the liquor store and me heading to the place where we were going to get food, he's slamming the shots of Patron in my car. I started noticing with his behavior that he was very manic and kind of jumping from subject to subject and they would randomly ask me if I was upset or if he had done something to make me mad. I already have all the bad vibes and can tell something is very off of him. During our drive to get food, he's telling me how when he was little, he threw a rock purposely at a bunny and killed it, and also within the last five years was at a bonfire with his friends and shot a cat that was in the field. At this point, I'm totally weirded out and already trying to figure out how I'm going to end the date. This was brought up very casually like it was no big deal. Also, he knows that I have three cats. We get to the taco place and he proceeds to ask the staff if they have no carb tacos. The lady looks confused and basically was like, um, tacos are pretty much all carbs. He started getting anxious about what to order. I could tell with his mannerisms. I ended up just ordering for us. He proceeded to then get a beer to go along with a Shadow Patron. He was able to get it to go because of the whole COVID situation. So we get in my car, and now I have a bottle of vodka, two empty shot bottles of Patron, which he just tossed on the side of my door, as well as a to-go beer and another shot of Patron. He continues to drink and would randomly shout, Look at us in Colorado eating great tacos. I'm drinking, you're driving, it's beautiful out here. So I couldn't bear the date any longer and said I had to go meet a friend. He seemed a little upset and confused, so we get back to his dealership he works at, and he said it was fine to just drop him off. He wanted to go in the dealership that he owns, while people were still working and eat the tacos. He said, Let's go in. It's a beautiful place. I can drink comfortably, and we can eat the tacos. I declined, and we ate them in the car quickly. When the plan was for us to go our separate ways, 
he then asked if I can just bring him home. I said okay, anything to get him out of my presence at this point. He also lived close by my apartment. Before we head to his place, he said he had to grab some stuff out of his car. So he gets back in my car and I hear him put something in the side of the door. I look over and see the handle of a gun. My stomach immediately dropped. I was like, is that a fucking gun? He laughed and said, yeah, I can't just leave it in my car. I love guns. I told him I was super uncomfortable and he just laughed like, why would you be uncomfortable? I said, um, because I don't know you at all barely. This is our first time meeting and now there's a gun in my car. Thinking back, I should have told him to get the fuck out, but I had never been in this kind of situation before. And the fact that there was now a loaded gun in my car and he was drunk, I didn't know what to do, so I just proceeded to leave the dealership and bring him home. So, on the way to his apartment, he then asked me if he can see my phone. I was thinking in my head like, okay, no way, you're drunk, you have a gun in my car, and now you want my cell phone? I asked why, and he kind of stuttered and said he wanted to look up a song. I said I would type it in and he insisted that he did. I then just kind of blurted out, No, you have a gun in my car, and now you want my cell phone. It's not happening. He kept seeming so alarmed that I was so freaked out about him having a gun in my car, and then wanting my phone. After typing in the song he wanted, I continued to humor him and make future plans, and talk about how great of a time I had. This was the only tactic I could think of to keep him in a positive mood and think that things were going great. All I could think of was the loaded gun next to him. So, finally, after what felt like hours, we get to his apartment. As he's getting out of my car, he goes to grab his gun very haphazardly and literally has his finger on the trigger. At this point, he was still in my passenger seat. He then steps out and could probably see the look of fear in my eyes, and he just fucking laughs. Then, he whipped the gun around the front of him and finally put it in his back pocket. Mind you, once again, He's been drinking the entire time, and also told me he had shot and killed a cat on purpose. He then told me to keep the bottle of vodka he had bought, so I had to come back later to watch a movie with him. I said absolutely not. Take the bottle, and I'll call you after I meet my friend. I never again reached out, and I haven't heard from him since. Thank God. I'll preface this story by saying that this is a throwaway account, and I've never opened up about this story, because it's taken me a long time to let this sink in. My story isn't as life-threatening as the other ones here, but I felt the need to let this off of my chest. The story starts off with me at 12 years old, diving into the world of puppy love and awkward first romantic encounters. I was called the slut of class during an age where no one actually understood what that entailed. Since I was openly liked by at least five guys in our class, this only made my self-esteem fall even lower than I thought was possible. I was overly friendly at this time, because when you're young, insecure, and often verging on suicidal, you tend to overcompensate. This meant that I was close to the class outcasts. The ones that were on the spectrum of Naruto running through the halls to socially anxious. 
one of these guys was the stalker. Stalker was a casual friend. We'd share lengthy conversations about video games and random YouTubers. You know the kind. He was a socially awkward guy, but pretty harmless. He just had these neckbeard tendencies that were concealed behind the fact that he was a generally well put together guy. On the last day of classes, he confessed that he was attracted to me and asked if I'd be open to dating him. I felt bad for him and with that pity I said yes. The good girl complex I had was taking full control, even if every inch of my brain was saying no. It was casual and awkward. I treated it like a friendship with commitment. There were a few red flags like him tracking my location from my messages, but I thought it was harmless. Eventually I broke it off. The whole ordeal just left a bad taste in my mouth, and I didn't want to keep it going any longer as I felt that six months was probably enough to validate breaking it off. After all, we were 13, and who the hell took relationships at that stage seriously? Turns out he did. He looked at us as meant to be, because it turns out. We were actually friends during childhood, and he held on to that. To win me back, he would often message incessantly, trying to talk to me in school, even following me whenever I needed to go to the bathroom and even going as far as coming to my house unannounced. At that point I was alarmed, especially with the thought that he was probably following me home with how quickly he arrived after I got home from school. Still, good girl mentality in check, I thought I could just turn this into a friendship. He made it very clear that it wasn't going to be that way. He would pick fights with anybody that I liked, and it was excruciating. And he would often force me to hang out with him, at one point grabbing me by the arm while I was with my friends, and only stopping once my friends defended me. I felt both powerless and weak. Once we moved, he would still show up to my doorstep unannounced. This understandably freaked me out. By that time, I was still trying to make it a friendship while he still insisted on being more than that. I was young, confused, and scared, while I was being blamed for all of this for leading him on, or even engaging with him in the first place. He often used the excuse of needing closure to talk to me, or get my attention and you'll see how overused that becomes. It reached a point where I was constantly looking over my shoulder and going through lengths just to avoid him because he would wait by my regular routes to have an excuse to walk with me and talk. I'd change the places I frequented, make sure that I was always surrounded by my friend group, and go as far as ducking past his class to make sure he doesn't follow me as I walk to the bathroom. Whenever the doorbell rang, I would freeze. I was anxious about leaving the house, because I always thought he might be on his way to my home. Once he caught on to this, he ended up spilling up a sob story to our guidance counselor. I suppose she felt bad, which explains why she had me pulled out of class, only to be ambushed into having a lengthy, unnecessary conversation with him, 
where he pretty much used the I need closure excuse, only to not talk about closure instead. Talk as if he didn't have me pulled out of class to talk about closure. My mom ended up chewing out the guidance counselor for doing so. Still, the damage was done. At that point, I thought it'd be safe, and as much as he was a lot less stocky, for lack of a better word, he was still there like a looming presence. I always felt his stare. His friends would act weird around me, and I still felt paranoid and terrified. One day, we had a new exchange student, new girl for the sake of this story, who everyone was quick to point out looked like me. The resemblance was uncanny. We ended up becoming close friends, and she told me that during her first week, a group of guys began pointing at her, calling out my name, and that one of them began messaging her and hitting on her. This was her first encounter with being mistaken as me, and we decided to have a bit of fun with this, often pranking others by doing a switcheroo. I would send her down the hallway before me, and to our surprise, this caught his attention. He would stop her in the hallway, only for him to leave her alone once I popped out behind her. It would usually have him dumbfounded, leaving us time to walk away as he processed. This left me slightly comforted that I could confuse him and be able to lessen my encounters with him and new girl didn't mind. She and I ended up dating. Surprise, surprise, I was lesbian this whole time. And he took personal offense to this, often making weird remarks about it. He was still being creepy this time, leaving notes on my desk on a semi-regular basis. My anxiety grew with this. I then ended up moving schools and I thought that would be the end of it. In a way, it was because that severely limited our ability to encounter each other. At one point though, my old school's sports team had gone to our school, along with other schools for a regional inter-school competition, and I was actually anxious and refused to leave my classroom for that week. At one point, he blocked me, unblocked me, got a girlfriend, and I thought that was the end of it. As of now, the story's come to its conclusion, and how it ended was with a Twitter conversation. He messaged me asking for closure again, and war flashbacks ensued. I let the conversation happen. He took time to gloat about his happy relationship with the perfect girl, who creepily had a noticeable resemblance. Say what you will about it, but I wish he was happy enough to have just left me alone. So, five-year stalker, I'm still terrified of walking alone. Still look over my shoulder, no matter how irrational, and fall into paranoia constantly. I'm happy now, but I don't think I'll ever lose that anxiety I was left with. Let's not meet again. Ever. I went to college in a historic mid-sized city in Florida, and at the time lived in a duplex downtown, maybe three blocks from campus. 
The city is known to be pretty safe and I lived in a pretty decent area with large historic homes near me. This story takes a place about three years ago. A little backstory that will become relevant. The duplex I lived in had a front door that locked, and then both the upstairs and downstairs units had their own locking door. I lived downstairs and had two roommates, but this specific night only one of my roommates was home. We knew the girls that lived upstairs, but only really spoke to them in passing. When they moved in, we emphasized how important it was for us, for them, to keep the main front door locked. And they did a good job of doing so. So me and my roommate are in for the night, knowing the front door is locked, and smoke a few joints. At some point we hear a knock at the front door, and quickly realize the girls upstairs had ordered a pizza. Later on, it becomes evident that they never locked the front door after receiving their pizza. So we finally go to sleep in our own rooms, and since I had a queen bed, I would often sleep with my phone and laptop next to me in my bed. A couple hours after I fall asleep, I woke to a man standing over my bed. As soon as I realize I'm not dreaming, I notice that he is quickly moving my phone and computer off of my bed and moving my comforter, trying to get into my bed. I start to ask him who he is, what he's doing here, and just generally confused. As I was still slightly high from before I went to sleep, the only thing he said to me multiple times was that he was just trying to get in bed. At this point I begin to panic, as my mind obviously goes to the worst. I was hoping that maybe my roommate had invited some random Tinder guy over and that he had gone to the wrong room. But the more I questioned him, all he had to say was, I'm just trying to get in bed. I own pepper spray and a stun gun, but I had accidentally left them on a shelf that the guy was standing in front of, so there was no way I'd be able to grab them without escalating the situation. Realizing I needed to do something quickly, I blurted, There are five people who live in this house, and if you don't get the fuck out now, I will scream and they will all be here within seconds. Luckily, that's all it took to scare him off. I don't know if that had brought something with him or if he had stolen something from me, but I saw him grab something in the dark and run out of my room. As soon as he left my room, I shut the door and locked it, and tried to find my phone. I couldn't find it anywhere, but then quickly realized that between my room and the front door is the room of my friend that was home. As scared as I was, I was terrified that the guy had maybe gone into her room. So I grabbed my stun gun and a pocket knife, counted to three and ripped open my door. I ran into my roommate's room, but she was fast asleep, and there was no evidence of the guy. I told her what happened, and she asked me if I was sure I wasn't dreaming. I began to question myself until I walked out of her room and saw that our front door was wide open. I went to my room to search for my phone and finally found it, hidden under a pile of clothes across the room from where I had left it. That sent a chill up my spine, as I immediately knew for a fact someone had been in my house and room while I was sleeping, and long enough to hide my phone, which only worsened my suspicions of his intentions. 
I ran back to my roommate's room, who at that point believed me, barricaded ourselves into the room, and called 911. Within minutes, there were police cars swarming our street and yard, and they yelled for us to quickly leave the residence and run towards them. At least a dozen police officers came running in and searched every inch of our apartment and woke the girls upstairs and searched their apartment to ensure the man had left. The officers then had me write a statement and I gave them a description of the man. And to this day, I've never heard a single thing about the case. I feel incredibly lucky with the outcome of the situation, but the thought of his intentions terrifies me. And additionally, the fact that he was never caught scares me, as I would hate for anyone to have to go through the pure fear that I did. I will add, there is a chance that he was on drugs or mentally ill, and had no bad intentions. However, because he was never caught, I will never know, and my mind will always assume the worst. To the man who now keeps me up at night, let's not meet. Got some Dunkin' this morning, and it brought back this story to mind. Figured I'd share it here. During high school and college, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts for about seven years and bounced around to a few different locations. I was used to working at the Dunkin' in my town, where we would get the yeast rings delivered periodically and frost them ourselves as needed. I transferred to a new shop about a half hour from my house, with all the same responsibilities except for the donuts. They were delivered by a corporate, and they arrived frosted almost perfectly. They looked like the plastic donuts they show in commercials, always round and not squished together, and they would dip them in frosting so it was evenly spread and neat. It was a busy Saturday morning, and it was close to Valentine's Day so we had a fresh order of brownie batter donuts delivered that morning. We were slammed, which was normal for a weekend, so it wasn't out of the ordinary to see my manager, who I'll call Jeremy, running around stressed out. When he first ran past me, I didn't think anything of it, and I just continued making sandwiches at the sandwich station. He rushed by carrying a pastry tray, and I watched him begin frantically throwing something in the trash, looking worried as hell. At first I laughed and just said, Jeremy, what the heck are you doing? He straightened out and looked absolutely beside himself. I had never seen Jeremy look so lost, so I asked what was going on and if something was wrong. Someone filled the brownie battered donuts with staples. He told me he got a phone call from corporate that one of the stores in our chain, which contained 10, had somehow discovered multiple staples in every donut in their order. That was at least 48 donuts for our store, and more or less for the other 9 depending on their sales. They told Jeremy we had to get rid of the most recent delivery, because whoever put the batter in the filler dumped a ton of staples in as well. Thankfully, we hadn't sold all of the previous order yet from that morning, because it was still relatively early. But the more I thought about it, the more I felt like I was going to be sick. What if a young child had gotten one of them? 
I pictured some family sitting at home on a Saturday morning, going out to get some drinks and donuts for the kids, and imagined everything else that could have happened after. I never found out what came of it, and as far as I know, neither did my boss. I'm assuming nothing happened, because I thankfully never heard anything on the news. Makes me wonder if they covered it up, and I hope they were able to find out who the assholes who did it were. So, Dunkin' Donuts terrorist, let's not meet and I hope somehow you're rotting away somewhere. <laughs>